Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Okay, I want to thank uh, my guest today for joining me. Uh, I'd like to introduce Leica. You there, Leica? I'm here. Very good. Um, so, uh, we ha I had an opportunity to, to meet Leica at uh, another, uh, so I work on another podcast. And she also has some other talents besides nutrition and, and wellness. And uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity to pick her brain. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, so let's establish your bona fides really quick. Um, you have been doing um, nutrition since 1998. Is that correct? Well, uh, since 2003. 2003. Yeah, I, yeah, 2003. Okay. 1998 is when I graduated high school, but I have had a love for nutrition since fifth grade, but actually practicing it extensively. Okay. So now what's a clinical preceptor? So one of my roles is uh, as a preceptor, I teach other diets or dietitians or students who want to become dietitians. So a preceptor in my role, I, at the hospital, I show them what I do and teach them how to do it. So to be a dietitian, you have to have a four-year degree, but you also have to do a one-year internship in a setting where other dietitians are working. You have to learn after you get your degree uh, how to do the job. And so I work as a preceptor at a hospital and teach dietitian students what I do and and train them. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so um, you're a Missouri licensed dietitian, and what does that com mm -hmm. comprise of? Okay, sure. To be licensed, most health professionals have to be licensed, and it basically means that they check your credentials to make sure you've met the requirements for that job. So, just now, the same a as a doctor. A doctor would have to be licensed in the state. There are certain requirements that you would have to meet. So for Missouri, it's your training, your education, um, that you're registered. So we dietitians are registered just like nurses are registered nurses. Dietitians are registered dietitians, and they have to meet certain requirements from a credentialing agency, the credentials dietitians, and then that information we give to the state along with a fee and. Any, you know, um, malpractice issues or anything like that with any dietitians were reported to the state, just like it would be a doctor. So it's just a way to govern the profession and make sure that everything is being decent and in order and practices are pro being provided in a professional way. Now, do you have to, is that, you have to take a test every year or is that you a part of the licensing? You have to take a test. No, not a part of the licensing. So to, to be a registered dietitian, which you have to be before you can get licensed, you do have to take an exam at the end of your internship. And you know, after your degree, you do an internship. And after the internship, after you've met all the requirements, you take the registered dietitian examination. Okay. So that, that's what you would take. And then after you've met all those requirements, you give that information to the state and then to be licensed. Uh, and then we have to complete so many continuing education um, 
activities every five years to be recredentialed. Very good. Um, also on your resume, you're listed as a program coordinator at the University of Northern Iowa. Is that something that you currently do? No, no. That is not something that I currently do. That is something that I did, I want to say, maybe a few years after I graduated. So mm -hmm. I first started off at Christian Northeast as a dietitian. Then I went back to Cape Girardeau and worked at a hospital there which is where I'm from at Southeast and I was a clinical dietitian there then I went to Fort Leonard Wood and worked there for about a year at the military hospital and then I worked at a gym at a fitness center in Columbia and after that I went to the University of Northern Iowa hmm. and I was a program coordinator there for a program that they had called Pick a Better Snack and basically I trained nutrition assistants to go out into the schools in the community to teach nutrition um, programs for kids. And we would get, partner with local grocery stores and take different fruits and vegetables for the kids to try. But I, I was doing more coordinating the program and teaching uh, assistants to how to execute the program at schools. Okay. So as I, as I mentioned, um, a little over 60% of Americans are overweight. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's more to um, a healthy America than just a diet. Do you agree? Absolutely, yes. And, I, and it, I do a lot of different things. And one of the things that I do is I have my own practice. And I see women struggle, in particularly, also men, but it's more than just what you eat because I have clients that come to me who have been eating well, exercising, but they're, they may not be managing their stress well. Mm -hmm. That causes us to hold weight. Sometimes they have hormonal imbalances based off of, it could be toxins um, that they're exposed to that are causing these hormonal imbalances. It could be related to foods that they're sensitive to, that they're eating, that they don't realize are causing hormonal imbalances, stress, I've mentioned as well, not handling stress well that leads to more hormonal imbalances. It could be a number of things, but it's not just uh, food. Well, I see a lot of GI disorders, so if you're eating a lot of food that your body's not processing, you still feel hungry because you're not digesting it well. You're not getting the nutrients from the food that you need because your GI system is compromised. So you just keep eating and eating because you're hungry because your body needs nutrients, but you're not getting them. So it's more than just, you know, counting calories and uh, what people typically think of for weight management. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, oh, question was in my head now. It's just that fast. Um, so, so weight management. <clears throat> um, so, so as I talk about uh, the country being overweight, there are more factors that go into that than just uh, what we eat. Correct. Right. So, so how do you help? someone and it's kind of a mm -hmm. overall view how do you help someone recognize sure. 
um, that the food that they're eating is not uh, benefiting them at the best it should be. Sure. So I first, I start with an assessment. I have all my clients fill out a detailed assessment about what they're eating and maybe what symptoms that they have. And a lot of times people don't even realize that they are having like gastrointestinal issues that are abnormal until they sit down and think about it. Um, most people think that gas and like bloating and things are, are normal parts of eating, but it's not. That That's showing that you have some sort of intolerance that's not normal to, ha to have those issues. Reflux, that's not normal. It's not just something you should just say, oh, I have reflux. Let me just take this pill and I'll deal with it. No, there are things that are going on with your diet. So I have them fill out an assessment so I can see what they're currently doing and then what symptoms that they're having. And I put all that together to formulate a plan. A lot of times I use something called an elimination diet where I eliminate, there are very a lot of common foods that people don't tolerate, like wheat, um, corn, nuts, uh, peanuts. Um, sometimes it could be onions. There's a, a whole list. Sometimes it's eggs. But there's a whole list of, thing, of foods that people may not, that are harder to tolerate than mm -hmm. other foods. So I start eliminating those first and put them on a diet that that's foods whole foods unprocessed foods and start them on that see how they do if their symptoms resolve and then what I do after that is reintroduce foods to see how their, their body tolerates it so now you mentioned so it's very I use a very individualized approach if that makes sense but sure. mm -hmm. it's it's very individualized to what is going on with the person. Okay. So you mentioned processed foods. Uh -huh. um, so the question then becomes, how, how do you find processed foods? How do you, how do you find foods that aren't processed? Because aren't processed. You, so it's, yeah. it is, it's pretty easy. They're out there. So processed foods are foods that are most closely to their natural state, to how they were when they came out of the ground or mm -hmm. If it's a, even if it's an animal uh, protein, it closes to how it was when it was, you know, mm -hmm. unfortunately butchered. Um, so things that would be processed are things that we've changed somewhat. So, you know, if you go out to a wheat field, uh, that's going to be a lot different than what you get in pasta and spaghetti. It's been changed in form. Mm -hmm. Also, um, corn, um, anything that's been, been changed. But what, what apple would still be the same, uh, lettuce would still be the same. You know, those things you could go out to a field, pluck them off the tree or pluck them out of the field and they're still in the same form. So that, that's, that's a whole food. It hasn't mm -hmm. been processed yet. So we want to have more things that haven't been processed than things that have, because we know that those are things that are healthier for our body. We process food so much that it almost becomes unrecognizable to our body as food, because mm -hmm. it's been changed form so much. Um, we also know that processing meats excessively, like when we take pork meat and change it into bacon, uh, we cure it, um, sausage, 
things like that. All those things we know have people who eat higher amounts of those hot dogs, they have higher rates of cancer. Like that's been well established. So we want to make sure that we're eating foods that are closest to their natural form as possible. And I always tell people for that reason to focus on your vegetables. A little bit of fruit, you have to be careful with overindulging your fruit because it is a form of sugar, even though it's a natural sugar. We don't want to overindulge in it. So our vegetables, because those are going to be less processed, um, maybe a little bit of grains if you tolerate them. Um, I, I do have animal protein in my diet a little bit, but you don't want to eat that in excess either. Now, um, so I, I don't want to interrupt you. Were you finished? No, no, no. Yes, you go ahead. Okay. So, um, so one of the things that you mentioned was in excess. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> so my, my question then becomes, what is excessive? Because mm -hmm. for one person, it's going to be a little different than another person, mm -hmm. you know, so, so how do we measure excess? Right. When it comes to things that we have to worry about, mostly you don't have to worry about eating an excessive number of non-starchy vegetables because people don't get enough of those anyway, like your leafy greens and um, your broccoli and, you know, cauliflower, things like that. So a lot of times the, with the foods that are high in fiber, you don't have to worry about knowing when you're excess because you physically won't be able to eat anymore. They fill you up. It's easy to eat things that are processed to excess because you never get full on that. But think about a bag of potato chips, how, it's, how easy it is to eat those because you don't get a sense of fullness. So there's no fiber. There's nothing to fill you up. So you could just eat in excess. And those things I would just say to, you know, if you must have them, to get a small serving size, like an individual serving size pack, instead of buying a family size pack. Um, as far as meat, animal protein, uh, the portion size we usually say is about three ounces or about the size of the palm of your hand. So there's different portion sizes for everything. One tool that I teach a lot is called the plate method. And it basically says that half of your plate should be non-starchy vegetables. So a lot of your greens, um, and then a fourth starch, and then another fourth your protein. So that would be a full plate to kind of give you an idea of what your portion sizes should be. Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. And if you're, again, if you're eating the right foods, mm -hmm. your body will tell you when you're going to excess because you won't physically be able to eat anymore, if well, that makes sense. No, I, absolutely. I, mm -hmm. I fully understand that. Um, but that then brings up the question, um, if you are eating in excess, um, mm -hmm. Don't you, as the individual, recognize that you're overeating, that uh, you've spent the last 40 minutes eating a, minute, a meal that should probably have taken 10? No. Does that make sense? You're, you're, yeah, you're, I, I, you it, keep eating and keep does, eating and keep eating. In your mind, it, mm -hmm. it makes sense, but in your body, it doesn't make sense because you're not getting those fullness cues. Mm -hmm. If you're eating things that are very low in nutrients, 
physically, your body wants more nutrients. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to continue eating because it still hasn't gotten the vitamin A that it needs. It still hasn't gotten the vitamin C that it needs. It hasn't gotten the vitamin E. It hasn't gotten the nutrients that it needs to fuel itself. So, it, yeah, you're getting these cues to keep eating because mm-hmm. you're not you're eating foods that are so poor in nutrition. So it, it, from a biological standpoint, it actually makes sense that people would overeat and not get a sense of when to stop on those foods. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the questions then for me is um, you can cook nutrition from your foods, can't you? you mean so you can like overcook foods. your, I'm sorry, you can right. overcook oh, your sure. food to the yeah, point you of can. where you, so you, you absolutely can. Uh, people bring this up a lot with vegetables, mm-hmm. you know, with if they boil it to where it's mushy. Mm-hmm. And some, now this is a little bit tricky because some of the studies, like for instance, when they looked at what's the best way to cook broccoli, they actually said to boil it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to boil it till it's mushy, but actually boiling the broccoli helps to break some of the cell walls and it releases some more of the nutrients mm-hmm. so that your body absorbs it more. Um, so, but you don't want to cook the life out of anything. So if it's looking, the broccoli is looking brownish, it, that you cooked it too much. And I, I talk about food a lot in how much life force is in it. You look at a plant, even just a plant in your home that you water, you can tell when it's dying and when the life force is coming out of it. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing you want to think about when you're eating food and when you're cooking your food, you don't want to cook it so much that you cook all the life force out of it because you want that, obviously, that life force in you. Mm-hmm. Same with me. Mm-hmm. Cooking, uh, you know, we've, we've told people a lot to grill. This is something that we've told in the past and now we're finding that that high heat can produce carcinogen, so we right. have to be very careful with not to put an extreme amount of heat. That's one of the reasons why fried food is so bad for you, is because we cooked it on such high heat that it's causing issues with the meat and and releasing these carcinogens. So um, baking is still the preferred way of cooking anything because it's lower on heat or even stewing. If you're stewing, you're cooking it at a low temperature, then that's also helpful. Like for soups and things like that, you add a little bit of meat to it. Mm-hmm. So um, the oil that you use to, so I, I've heard about, you know, the different oils and you got vegetable mm-hmm. oil, you've got canola oil, you've got uh, olive oil. Um, do you have a, a preference for oils to use to cook? Right. It really just depends on, for if you're cooking for high temperature, at a high temperature, you want to use an oil that has a higher smoke point. So that means you can cook it at a higher temperature without the oil oxidizing, um, without it burning. So good oils that if you are cooking at a higher temperature would be olive oil. And I, I'm sorry, not olive oil, avocado oil. Mm-hmm. If you're cooking at a lower temperature, you can use um, olive oil. I use olive oil with my salads if I'm making dressing. Mm-hmm. And then 
fried my comate dressings with olive oil. Um, you can use coconut oil. There's a little bit of debate on that, but that works better at a higher temperature because it has a higher smoke point. Uh, algae oil is uh, another one that works well at a higher smoke point. So those are those would be my recommendations. Very good. Um, so um, I remember a time when bread would you could tell when the bread was um, well past its expiration when you saw mm -hmm. spores of mold. Um, mm -hmm. In in recent um, bread products I've purchased, it doesn't mold anymore. Yeah, I mean, there there's there's so much that they put in the food to keep it shelf stable, and that's how you know it's dead food. I mean, when it can sit on a shelf forever and not have any water or anything added back to it to bring it back to life, it's pretty much dead. doesn't have that much life force in it. Uh, there's so many chemicals that have been added to our food to make them last forever to the point where if you're eating all that food that doesn't have any life force in it, it obviously it's not going to be healthy. So, again, that's why we want to stick more. I'm not going to say never eat bread. Um, but you definitely don't want to have very much of it. Including um, uh, wheat bread. That, that's just my own opinion. Mm -hmm. um, right. There are a lot of, wheat is one of those things where it's a high risk of people who have, it's a high risk food for insensitivities or intolerance and things mm -hmm. like that. So if you are eating wheat, you just want to make sure that you're a person that tolerates it and digests it well. Okay. Okay. Um, so one of the things that you talked about earlier also, or that you mentioned was um, that we um, attempt to live better via science. So if we are having a difficulty, we pop a pill and we think that uh, science is going to solve all of the problems that we're having. Um, what is your recommendations for for that kind of living? That's a great question because I see that so much and it's it's conventional medicine to for a patient or a person to have a problem, go to a doctor that gives them a pill instead of really getting to the root of what is causing the problem. A lot of, you know, like I said, with even reflux, that's it can be caused by having intolerances of certain foods or not even or even not just getting enough vegetable I have one client who have reflux and all he did was just increase his fruit and vegetable intake and his reflux went away so and decrease some of the fried foods and things like that so we don't want to just if we have these conditions in our body they're still there whether you're removing the symptoms or not but the problem that's fueling it that there may be a problem that's increasing inflammation in your body, which is the root of all chronic diseases, it, just putting a Band-Aid on it is still there. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is if you do have some sort of illness is to not, definitely take your medications, but while you're taking your medications, try to get to the root of the problem. See a dietitian, see a wellness practitioner that specializes in holistic 
nutrition, holistic treatments, or you're even a functional medicine doctor um, who looks at the, the big picture and really wants to get to the root of the problem and fix what's causing the problem instead of just using a pill. Even, you know, I have one of my most recent clients has high blood pressure and pretty mild, you know, he only takes was taking one pill a day with it for it, but started on an exercise plan, nutrition plan, and within a couple of weeks, because his hypertension was really pretty mild to begin with it, he was able to reduce his blood pressure to normal levels just from changing his diet, taking out the salt, eating more whole foods, and getting on an exercise plan. Why would you want to take a pill for the rest of your life when you can prevent that problem? Why make the drug companies more rich than they are when you don't have to? And he feels better and he's happier and things like that. It's, so I think because people have struggled with conditions for so long, they think it's, this is just my life. This is just the way things are. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping that the more we get the word out that so many of these problems are preventable, so many of these problems are treated with lifestyle and it, it takes a community, though. Mm -hmm. No, it, it's it's not an easy thing to do by any means, but it, it can happen, and it does happen. Sure. So, so one of the things that um, um, that I've I've recognized in in healthcare is um, it is a lifelong process. Um, if you had good eating habits as a child, uh, let's, let's take. Um, your teeth, for for instance, if you didn't eat a lot of candy and, and you brushed regularly, your teeth would last a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. The difficulty with that now is that 60% or over 60% of the people now have chronic problems. So right. how do, so, so now rather than preventative medicine, we need corrective this treatment. This treatment, right? Right. Absolutely. But even even in later years with intensive lifestyle therapy, I mean, the research is clear that you can reverse a lot of those chronic diseases. So it doesn't doesn't matter if you've had these problems for years on end, you, you can, it can still be improved. OK, um, yeah. so so when you you, you use the term holistic mm -hmm. and and I know I need to as um, I, tr I try to read uh, uh, what I can about um, health and eating right, uh, but still the term holistic, uh, I picture in my mind sitting on the side of a hill under a tree, uh, chewing tree bark and humming to myself. <laughs> okay, so holistic, if we just look only at diet and exercise or what I call movement, we're missing a lot of other things that could be contributing to disease, and uh, like I mentioned, our stress, how we handle stress, but also how we handle our relationships, how connected we are to other people, uh, how safe we feel, I mean, how much sleep we get. So holistic is looking at everything that impacts the human body, not just a couple of things so there's so there's so much that has been read recently on relationships on how it's just important that you have the healthy relationships as it is you know what you eat or how much you move 
because we as humans we have a need to feel connected to other humans it's just it's a need it's a basic human need mm -hmm. so I, i've got a, a couple more questions and then i think mm -hmm. sure. uh, we're going to try to wrap it up uh, because i have taken up so much of your time and i truly do appreciate it um mm -hmm. sugar mm -hmm. so is sugar harmful in and of itself or our excessive yes. use of sugar well the thing about sugar is it's hard not to if you're using it it's hard not to use it in excess so that that's the problem with sugar if you're a person maybe you have a teaspoon of sugar every day that's not very much that's just a pinch of sugar but for most people it's very di difficult to have that low amount sugar raises kind of our endorphin levels and makes us feel good when we have it so it is highly addictive and which makes it very easy to overconsume it you definitely because it's highly inflammatory you definitely want to get rid of sugar if it's in your if it's in excess in your diet which most people if you're if you're not avoiding it it probably is excessive because it's in it's in most of the foods that you eat any almost anything that you get off the shelf even like bread like you mentioned there's sugar in that and sauces anything that you get off the shelf is most likely i think i just read a statistic that 90 percent of processed food has sugar in it or fructose uh, so which is just another type of sugar mm -hmm. um so yeah it's in everything and it really plagues your digestive health so if you are having digestive issues it could be related to sugar like i said because it's it's inflammatory when you have sugar it makes you your insulin levels increase in your body and when your insulin levels are chronically increased usually you're not um, you get in a situation and this is kind of diabetes happens for a number of reasons but when you have increased chronically increased levels of insulin is just highly inflammatory you want to have as little as possible insulin helps to get the sugar from your blood into your cells to give you energy but if you're having excessive amounts of that obviously you're storing that as fat which you know in excess is harmful um, and so on okay um we are um Okay, so our society, we go through different uh, stages of development uh, as far as what, we, what is socially acceptable. And I remember um, there was a time uh, I lifted weights. Um, uh, and one of the mantras for lifting weights was go for the burn. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they said, oh, you don't have to go for the burn. That's, you know, that's for the, the muscle heads and that's not good. And so, um, so the, the exercise craze of that time shifted from um, actually uh, building muscle to cardio. Everybody mm -hmm. was running and doing the bike and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so now the new iteration of health is uh, body positive. Wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this is the greatest you. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm going to play bad cop on this one. I think that causes more harm than good. 
So tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> so it, yeah. the, the thing about it is most of the health issues that we have are not so much always related to what somebody's BMI is, their body, body mass index, or, you know, how heavy they are. It's related to their activity. So the recommendations on activity are 90 minutes a day of low intensity activity or 50 minutes of moderate activity. So moderate activity is where you would be breaking a sweat. Low intensity is just kind of more like walking, like leisurely uh, activity. So you don't, you have, I don't focus a lot on the body per se. I focus more on doing the right things and getting somebody's body back in balance. And is the body will change from that. So I think you, you do want to have people accept them, their bodies as they are, but you don't want to have them accept their health as it is when there are things that they can do to change it. Does that make sense? I, it makes a lot of sense, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna push I'm gonna push back at you a little bit sure. here. Sure, please. Um, so if I'm eating right, mm -hmm. if I'm eating the food that's filling me up, I'm going to eat mm -hmm. less food. If I'm mm -hmm. eating less food and I'm getting less calories, my BMI is going to change, whether I want it to or not. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to necessarily have someone who is like 400 pounds, um, who's probably working out for 90 minutes a day and eating, you know, mm -hmm. mostly plants and vegetables and things like that, um, and still being able to maintain that weight. That is, that is true. Now they could have, now someone could have be doing all the right things, like I said before, but still have hormonal issues that are keeping them at that way. Because I have seen people doing everything right, but their hormones be out of balance, especially women, and not sure. be able to drop a pound. Until mm -hmm. you get that, that their hormone levels back in balance, and then it drops like that. Okay, last question, and then mm -hmm. and then we're gonna we're gonna close the show. Um, so there are four pillars to health and wellness. Right. Give them so to me. Those are, <laughs> yes, it's be, rest, nourish, and move. And to be is really just taking care of our mental health, being present in the present moment. And you know, a lot of times we focus on the past or the future rest, getting enough rest and getting enough things that rejuvenate us, doing enough things that we enjoy, living in our purpose. Nourished is obviously putting in those foods that have that life force that keep us healthy. And then move is just moving your body through amazing moves. So moving it in the right amount at the right level at the right times. Very good. So um, you are CEO of Lake 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 Well. Lake Well, yes. Lake Well. How how can someone who's interested in um, making assessments for their life and make, make possibly making some changes uh, get a hold of Lake Well? They can find me on Facebook uh, at Lake Well, or email me at Lake Well L A K A Well 
W-E-L-L at gmail.com. Very good. I want to thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold on a moment. I'm going to do the close sure. of the show, and then and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk for a moment. Okay. Well, that wraps up this episode of um, Altitude Adjustment. This podcast is streamed live each week on YouTube so that you are encouraged to participate by asking questions and including your thoughts. To participate, contact Altitude Adjustment by connecting via Skype at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com or Google at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com. Please feel free to connect with me on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and YouTube. And be sure to look for this and other episodes where you listen to podcasts. Remember, your likes and shares are internet gold. So please like and share this podcast where you find it. And remember, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guys because they may not be.